This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another episode of the No Ceilings Podcast. I am Tyler Metcalf, joined, as always, by Tyler Rucker. Tyler, it's it's been a minute since we've gotten to do one of these. How are you doing? I'm good. I missed, I missed you, Metcalf. I'm not going to lie. It felt weird not doing one, especially with the draft grind getting really crazy. So um, I'm, I'm happy to be back, you know, but I got to spend some time with our guest today. So it was a good trip. It was a nice little trip. Yeah, for, for our listeners... Um, the NCAA tournament right around the corner, but the previous weekend uh, were the conference tournaments and our own Tyler Rooker and our guest Albert Gim were boots on the ground in Vegas at the Pac-12 tournament. So before that immediately got outdated, uh, like everything in our society seems to do, um, I wanted to make sure to get these guys thoughts because they were there in person and saw some really important prospects for this upcoming draft. So Albert, before we get into it, how's it going? Welcome back. Um, you're in my good graces until you screw up my name and then I will promptly kick you off. <laughs> it's uh, it's really good to be back with you guys. You guys are unbelievable. I was thinking before we started recording, this might be one of the most uh, aggressive podcasts we do in a while because <laughs> Rucker and I are mortal enemies and Metcalf for whatever reason I love to get your name correct all the time um, so um, I'm just happy to be here guys obviously um, we're doing some incredible things here at No Ceiling so I'm always honored and blessed to be a part of it and um, we did watch some awesome basketball in Vegas and it was really fun so I'm ready to go Perfect. Well, I, I think the, the best place to start out is the best team in the Pac-12, uh, one of the number one seeds in the NCAA tournament, someone who I think should be a, at least a top 10 lock, and that's the Arizona Wildcats shooting guard, Benedict Matherin. Um, Rucker, I just want to kind of start with you. You you are the, the Arizona local guy. What were your impressions with Matherin, just seeing him up close, and did they really differ at all to kind of what you've just been watching on tape? Yeah, so, I mean, it was awesome going to finally see all those guys in person, and I was pumped to go with Albert because we did that earlier in the year, did a Vegas trip to go see some some prospects when it was with, you know, Chet and playing against UCLA and all the big boys there. But the Pac-12 just has so many intriguing prospects in this class. And, you know, I've been buzzing about Matherin leading up into that tournament. And it was a good opportunity for me to kind of see him going up in, in the brightest lights. You know, everyone loves that tournament. That's a very popular stage. There's usually a very competitive slate of prospects and games. And Matherin was obviously, you know, who I wanted to watch the most. And I think what stood out to me the most, and, and I think Albert will agree with me on this, was he, he is built. I, I mean, he is, he's stocky. He, he's in really good shape. Like I, 
I was, you watch him on tape and you think he's in good shape, but when you see him in person, like he is a ball of muscle. So that also kind of intrigued me. Cause I was like, okay, he's got a, a frame that looks like it's ready to take on and dish out contact even at the next level. And, and you can see that when he gets downhill and he wants to mix it up inside, you know, I, I know he's listed at six, six, but he, he does some work in the, around the boards. Like he's not afraid to mix it up with the tall trees down there. So Matherin pretty much confirmed what I thought, you know, the, the couple of times we saw him, he had a really strong game. And then one game, he kind of had a, a struggling shooting performance, but he still made an impact in a number of ways. Um, so it confirmed everything. Um, I didn't leave there being like, Oh my gosh, I got to move him up five spots, but I didn't leave there also going, I got to move him down. I, I felt pretty good. You know, I, I have him eighth right now on my board. I feel very good about that, especially after seeing him in person. Albert, not to air out your dirty laundry here, but in group chats, you th- you have thrown around the name Amon Shumpert uh, in connection with Matherin. After seeing him in, per- in person, a little more sample size, where are you at with him right now? Um. So, okay. First yeah. off, I, yes, I have. I thought this was going to be fun, and we're coming. We're grilling, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I look. I have thrown the name Iman Trumpert out there before, um, and I'm not going to take it back uh, because I did feel that way for a while. But I, I, I'll say, I'll say this: seeing him live, it's funny, Rucker, that you mentioned um, his frame because that was the first thing that I wanted to talk about as well. He's a he's a big dude. Um, I don't think he's six seven. I do feel like he is closer to 6'6", but the shoulders, the frame, he's a big, strong guy. And you see it in his plate. We're not talking about show muscles here. It's all functional. He's using it. He's not afraid to bump bodies with big guys. He's not afraid to attack the attack the rim offensively. He's not afraid to go for rebounds. Like he He's a guy who uses his strength to his advantage. Um, I think for me, though, to be honest, I think for Rucker and I, both of us, we were like, Hey, we really want, we were really hoping that he would have this um, unbelievable breakout game. And to be honest, we didn't get to see that until the Pac 12 championship game when we weren't there. So that was a little unfortunate for us. But he played well. The shot looks good. I've always been like a big, I've never been completely sold on his shot, but seeing it live, it looked pretty damn good. Um, I can't lie. Um, It did look pretty damn good. And yeah, I think the biggest thing for me, the main thing that I wanted to talk about when it came to Matherin was I had some questions about him defensively. I thought there were some times that he could float a little bit, kind of lose focus, lose his man a little bit. And, you know, to be fair, like there were some moments there, too, where he wasn't like all the way locked in. But when Matherin is locked in, uh, that's the stuff that makes you well, sorry, made me way got me to a point where I became a lot higher on him because there was this one instance against Colorado, I believe. I don't remember who exactly they were playing. Maybe it was in Colorado. I don't know. But he was he was down in the paint and he was communicating. He was pointing. He was engaged. And that's a part of his game that I was not expecting at all. He was really engaged, really vocal, calling stuff out. And when I saw that, I was like, okay, this is something to get really, really excited about for him as a prospect, even on the next level. Because I always thought of him as kind of like a passive, quieter guy. But at least for, you know, for certain stints there defensively, to see how vocal and locked in he was, that really kind of changed my mind a lot about him and made me feel a lot better about having him in my top 10. His defense has definitely been one of the 
bigger frustrations with me, not not necessarily in production or whatever, but just figuring out who he is as a defender. Uh, d- during all of that, Rucker, you were nodding your head a lot. So where are you at with him defensively? Are, are you encouraged? Are you frustrated that we only get it in spurts here and there? If he's not supported by one of the best you know, defensive centers in college basketball, does that defense fall off or does it pick up because he know he knows he doesn't have that safety net? Where where are you kind of at with him defensively? Yeah, I wouldn't say frustrated. I, I'm more, you know, intriguing is probably not the right word. It, it, it's just kind of puzzling. Um, you watch him and, and like Albert said, you know, we talked about it a lot in Vegas after seeing him a couple of times. It, he can get lost. He, he can get lost on the play. And, and I don't know if it's just kind of, you know, Metcalf, we've talked about this, like kind of like mm-hmm. the superstar treatment where you're, you're the guy. So yeah. maybe you kind of coast a little bit, but when he's locked in, I mean, he can be a real problem defensively. Um, you know, if you go back and watch Matherin throughout the year, anyone listening, like go watch that Illinois game. He, he picks guys up and he takes on a challenge and he forces turnovers with his effort and just being right up in guys. But the problem is that like what's frustrating is it comes and goes um, like he'll, he'll coast for a little bit. And then when he flips that switch, like he can move, he can use his strength and his frame to really cause, you know, some problems. So I think that's, you know, you saw it in Vegas too. Um, me and Albert saw a number of instances, like he's saying he, he showed plays where he's engaged he he wants to be a pest he wants to you know wreck some havoc and then you also see him coast and a couple times he got called caught ball watching and you know you just need to figure out how to get that consistency um you know it maybe he goes to the right coaching staff where they're like hey you better lock in defensively the offense is gonna come so I think I that's probably why I'm so intrigued with him as a potential like riser um throughout the draft is because i still think there's some untapped potential when it comes to his two-way ability i we we're seeing the strides offensively um i don't know about albert but he had a couple instances offensively where he ran like across the floor on an out-of-bounds play and then catch and shoot corner three and i was like whoa And, and like that was really impressive because it was just him going full speed stopping on a dime, beautiful stroke. So I think there's still two-way potential. Um, you know, we've talked about the playmaking upside that he has in his game. I, I really think there's a lot of, you know, unfinished business when it comes to him finding his best basketball, because I think there's a more all-around player that's just waiting to rise to the surface. Yeah, and entering the season, um, it wouldn't have surprised me if he would have gone out last season because I thought what he showed as a freshman was super impressive. But I was really concerned about if he had any on-ball equity. And over the season, I, th- I think he's shown more flashes, at least this year, than last year. But I think the bigger thing is that his off-ball production just continued to take that jump and become even more effective. Albert, do you, at the next level, do you think he has the ability to grow into, say, like a number two? option in an offense where he is taking on some primary capabilities or do you think he's best served as a number three where he's playing more off ball and kind of benefiting from the gravity of others say like a Tim Hardaway Jr. or Andrew Wiggins or guys of that kind of mold uh, I think for me personally as you guys know I've been more of a pessimist when it when it's come to Matherin um, but 
he's really sold me. I I think watching him over the course of the season, I'm pretty sure I came up with the whole Iman Shumpert comp pretty early in the season, but uh, over the course of the year, he just the strides, strides that he's made. It's been unbelievable. Like I, I I actually had some real questions about his shot coming into the season. I know he shot over 40% last year from three, but it just watching the tape, I was, I wasn't completely sold. And to see, the improvements it's been unbelievable like as rucker mentioned like he made some movement threes and i was just like wow those are really hard shots to hit that he was hitting really naturally it looked comfortable it looked natural it looked great so in terms of your question metcalf i feel like the potential is definitely there um do i think it's going to happen in year one probably not but if i consider how much he's improved from last year to this year it's hard to kind of I mean, this is kind of corny. It's hard to put a ceiling on his game. Like, truly. Like, if, mm. if you consider how much he's changed in just one year, at least to my eye test, it's kind of like, okay, then I should not put a ceiling on what this guy can become. And and to, to be fair, a guy like Tim Hardaway has collected a lot of huge checks here in the NBA. So to say that Matherin will be a uh, Tim Hardaway type one day, one day is not a slight at all. Mm. But I think there is potential for him to become a number two type of guy because he's a quiet confident tough dude and we saw that on on display in vegas so i'm definitely a lot higher on him now than i thought i would ever be so to answer your question yeah i think there is a chance for him to be a legit number two someday but number one i think definitely not in my opinion sure and from there i kind of want to pivot into his teammate christian cloco who i think is kind of a fringe first rounder at this point um Rucker, you've been high on Coloco, Coloco all season long. And as the season has really progressed, he's continued to prove that he's one of the best defensive centers in the league, despite not necessarily getting as much attention as, say, a Walker Kessler, who has an absurd black rate, or a Mark Williams, who's just who's on Duke. I tend to prefer both those guys a little more than Coloco. But as a defender, where where's Coloco kind of compared to those two? And how, how do you see him fitting in at the next level? You know, it's really weird. Um, and, you know, I, I've said before on podcasts, it's not like I know everything. Um, I'm pretty obvious about my misses and stuff. But Coloco's just been a guy I've been tracking for a couple of years. And, and I saw him when he was a freshman in Arizona. He was barely playing, but I, I got to see him in person and, and I was like, man, who's this? Who's this kid? Like, he he's got a really skinny, athletic frame. He moves well. Um, he made a couple of like plays defensively. I was like, whoa, what's the story with this kid? So I've been kind of watching him um, develop over the years, and and I know he's a junior. I know people are going to be a little scared about that, but I still think this guy has so many levels to his game to unlocked. And, and watching him in Vegas, I. I just still think we're kind of underrating Christian Coloco. Um, he just keeps impressing me. And, and I went to Vegas really excited to watch Matherin. Of course, I wanted to see Coloco because, I've, like I said, I've been kind of monitoring him, like had a list of guys to keep an eye on, and he's been on that list for a while. And he had created some buzz last year, then went back. But Coloco was so impressive in Vegas. I, I mean, I don't know if they won a couple of those games without him. He, he was all over the place. He was hitting free throws when they were struggling to get buckets. He was finishing with touch around the basket. He was making big defensive plays. I mean, you know, they run that beautiful high-low with Sabellis and Coloco, and he's usually down low creating positioning and stuff. So 
to answer your question, Metcalf, like we've been fascinated with Mark Williams and, and mm-hmm. Walker Kessler all year. And I think Coloco has just sort of been this guy we're not talking about enough. Now I'm right there with you. I, I have him right outside the first round. I think he deserves to be in the first round. Like I, I would not be surprised if a team drafts him because I think he's still got a lot of basketball to find and, and the defensive awareness, the, upside the mobility i think are legit and he's just scratching the surface offensively because there's been massive strides of improvement so i think he's still figuring out you know what to do but the flashes and the awareness defensively the communication have really stood out to me so i'm a fan and and i left vegas even more of a fan so Albert, you were enthusiastically nodding along when rucker was going through his compliments and saying that he thinks coloco has extra levels to his game that he has yet to unlock do you so do you tend to agree with that and if so what what do you think those kind of extra levels are um no i i 100 agree like i i wrote an article about the bigs that you mentioned before about kessler mark mm-hmm. williams and coloco and in that one i i was saying at the end like i think i'm kind of leaning towards coloco and watching him live like it, it's i'm there with rucker the guy is He's ginormous. He's a really, really big dude with a great-looking wingspan. The thing that I think – there are two things that I was most impressed about seeing him in person. Number one, um, during the Pac-12 tournament, he was able to stay out of foul trouble every single game. And that was a really important thing considering he was the anchor of their defense, and he was never in foul trouble, ever. And I think that's a really hard thing to do considering how much they rely on him to be the anchor of their defense. That was awesome to see. On top of that, the hands are fantastic. He catches everything, everything. Does not does not matter how ugly the pass or whatever, speed, velocity does not matter. He's catching it all. And that was really, really impressive to me. Um, the shot blocking, we didn't get to see a lot of it until the title game where he had four blocks against UCLA. But you see it, man. And the thing is, like, there was a, an, an instance where um, a guard was going to the basket and he didn't get the block. But I remember Rucker, like, he kind of mentioned to me, he was like, dude, like, you see that. Like, that, he didn't get the block there, but he changed the shot. And that's something that I, I love about Coloco, where he may not get, you know, three, four blocks per game, but he's changing shots. He's His presence is being felt on the floor. And so, I, I once again, like, I'm really high on him. I think uh, one last thing that I want to throw in there, and if we're talking about him, you know, going up another level, he's a good passer. He's not, I mean, he's not some unbelievable Jokic level passer, but he's a good passer. He made really good reads and he made some really nice passes. Um, I forgot which game it was, but he's a guy that like, once again, I think there's a lot more for him to show. Um, as he continues to play more basketball. And so I know he's a junior now, but coming into the league, like if a team were to grab him in the, in the late first round, I don't think they're going to be regretting it because yeah, he, he's still raw in certain aspects. Right. But there's a lot to work with there and just the athleticism, the size, the growth alone. I, I'm, I'm very high on Coloco. I, I really like what you mentioned about his, <clears throat> excuse me, about his rim protection, because I think that's something that we talk about with Chet too, and it's rim protection isn't just shot blocking. It's deterring shots at the rim. It's altering shots. It's making them making guys release from different angles or even just dribble completely out of the paint. And as the season has gone on, I think Coloco just continues to show that on a nightly basis. It's discipline, it's awareness, it's timing. And that ability to not foul is so important because these young athletic shot blockers who just chase blocks 
always get in trouble. And it doesn't seem like Coloco really do, does that. Oddly enough, in the NBA, it kind of seems like the starting center position is one of the more versatile um, in the league right now, where we have guys for, like Carl Anthony Towns, to Jokic, to Steven Adams, to Valanciunas, to Bam. And it's all these different types of players. Right. Rucker, does Coloco have the ability or do you, could you foresee him kind of breaking that threshold to become um, a starting center? You know, I, I really can. Um, what's just so fascinating about him is I think the strides he's made in his game over the years is, is why I'm convinced like he's still got some really good basketball to figure out. Now, you know, someone might draft him and he might take a while to mm-hmm. all of a sudden become a starter, but that's the type of player you really want to draft because, you know, reports have been, he's a great kid. He, he works his butt off. You see it on the court. He's, he's playing as hard as he possibly can. And he's not ashamed to be like, okay, I'm gas. Take me out. I need to catch my breath. But it's, it's all of a sudden it's two minutes and he's running back to the scores table to come back in. So you can see the determination, especially defensively. He wants to take on that challenge. And, you know, if you go back and watch him, you know, he's played some monster opposing centers and every one of those games, he's rose to the occasion. And, and, you know, against Hunter Dickerson this year, who's one of the biggest forces, you know, you know, especially uh, Metcalf being a Michigan boy, he had 22 and seven with four blocks, um, goes to Illinois, plays Kofi Coburn and, you know, he didn't have a strong offensive game, but he had four, seven, and four blocks. And if you watch that game, he gave Coburn a nightmare. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, UCLA, you know, championship game of the Pac-12, he had 13, 10, and four blocks. So I've just been intrigued with what he's done. Um, he seems like a guy that really rises to the occasion. And, and I think Albert brought up a really big point. You know, he's had problems in the past with the foul trouble, but he's also made points to be a really good shot blocker and understand when to go for shots, not falling for the bait and staying out of foul trouble at times. And that's where I'm saying like, everyone's going to be like, well, he's a junior. He's supposed to be ready to go. No, like we always say bigs take time. So I think Coloco could be one of those late first round guys that a team could be like, Hey, let's start him out as a, you know, kind of a depth piece, let him groom, you know, maybe a team like, OKC with three first round picks. They take him with their last pick. And I, I just really think that's an intriguing piece that, you know, like I said, we've talked about Walker Kessler. We've talked about Mark Williams. Coloco needs to be in that conversation too. And I, I feel like this Arizona team is really known for their size across all positions this year. And I don't think anything highlights that as much as their six, six point guard, Dalen Terry, who has played a variety of roles. He was, he was a high, a pretty highly rated recruit coming out of high school, but since then he's grown. And in the past two weeks, I, it feels like his stock has skyrocketed. Albert, you, you seemed a little excited when, when I brought him up. So mm-hmm. seeing him in person, yeah. what were your main takeaways from Terry? Um, I think the first most important takeaway is that he might be my favorite, favorite player in college basketball. <laughs> Um, after seeing him for a couple of games, I mean, dude, the the thing that Rucker and I could tangibly feel in the building was that he changed the atmosphere when he's like when he's on a sick one, everyone can feel it. It's unbelievable the the energy that he brings to the floor is 
crazy both on both ends whether it's d- defensively like he'll have an unbelievable defensive possession he's clapping he's getting the crowd hype they'll grab a defensive rebound and he's running down the floor trying to keep the pace up i remember there's one play he's at the top of the key left hand dribble makes a live dribble left hand pass to kyer going to the rim and he got fouled but it was just an absolutely beautiful pass that is not an easy pass to make on target on time and i was just like this guy is awesome and then like when you look at him physically he just looks like delon wright and i said that to rucker the whole time i was there like he looks just like delon wright physically and it's kind of uncanny how much like he looks like him but it's he's such a fun player man defensively so fun offensively you see him at the free throw line the jump shot is not broken he even hit a couple threes during the pac-12 conference and you're like the pac-12 championship and you're like yeah, it's not the most beautiful looking shot, but you throw him in a gym all summer and tell him to take 10,000 shots, that shot's going to get better because it's not broken at all. So uh, let me calm down a little bit and just say Dale and Terry is, I think he's going to have a really good tournament. I am kind of hoping he comes back next year to play a, another season because that team next year at Arizona is going to be sick if he comes back and plays with those guys. And so uh yeah but i I love the hell out of him yeah and it's kind of hard not to because he's got a lot of like fuck you in his game where he he plays you know mentality a little like patrick beverly where if he's on your team you absolutely adore him if you're playing against him he's your worst enemy and you hate everything about his game but that that tenacity on defense, the his willingness and desire to get in your face and get in your mind and play those mind games and just constantly be on guys is really impressive. Rucker, we, we, you and I always support going back, developing your game and making sure that you're ready for the NBA. Do you think Terry is best served going back? Or is this, if he makes a big tournament run here and kind of builds off what we saw in the Pac-12 tournament, do you think it'd be smarter for him to go out? Because I I think that Arizona team will be good next year, but losing Matherin and Coloco, I'm not sure it'll be the exact same situation. I'm rooting for him to go back um, because he could explode up mm-hmm. draft boards. And I really... I'm telling everyone listening, if you haven't watched him closely, like go watch what he did in the Pac-12 tournament. Um, you know, I, I'm like Albert. I, I might need to calm down after this segment, but um, I I was completely blown away with what he did on the basketball court. You know, Kirk Kreese goes down with an injury, and it was kind of like, oh, boy, I wonder how this team's going to respond tomorrow. And, and if you've watched Arizona closely throughout the year, a lot of people might say like Terry was an important piece already. He, he was a guy that was putting up good numbers in limited minutes. He was doing a little bit of everything. Like you said, Metcalf six, 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 seven with good length. Um, just really special playmaking ability, his great vision, but he went three for four in his first game um, against Colorado and took over the game. Like he, he was unbelievable like albert was spot on he just was taking it over the entire arena he had everyone just on the edge of their seat because he was playing with so much damn passion he defends his ass off um and then you know he they go to play ucla in the title game he had 15 6 and 7 on nine shots so i mean he's he doesn't need to get a ton of shots up to make a complete impact in the game and he even had a possession, I think it was against UCLA, where um, 
I think it was a two on two on two, maybe fast break. And Matherin was running alongside him and he was running right up the court. And I think UCLA was waiting for Matherin to get the pass. And he just was like, fuck this. And he just threw down a tomahawk <laughs> slam. And he's just like, you're going to give me the runway. I'm throwing it down. So um, a lot of people were worried about his shot. He, he had a couple while me and Albert were there. And I was like, that shot's not far. Like that shot is okay. Like he's going to be all right. So he's making a case to come out this year. I think some team's going to try to convince him. Like I think every guy should go test the waters, get some feedback. I'm horrified that some NBA team's going to make him a promise and lie. And I, I want him to go back because I really do think Arizona, despite having a big turning run, I still think they're going to have a couple guys go back. They're going to be reloaded for another year. And Terry could just blossom into a really, really solid first round pick. So I'm rooting for it, Metcalf. I, I know Albert is too, but we'll see what happens with Arizona in the tournament. Because if he keeps playing like this, oh boy, that stops yeah. heating up. Yeah, and it's, it's really interesting because just thinking about him, you know, even from last year and the beginning of this year, everything you guys have been talking about, the the defense, the athleticism, the passing, I love his anticipatory passing with like cutters and setting guys up in that realm. Um, but that's all been there and it's like the the guy that we've seen these last two weeks isn't really a big departure from what we've seen the previous year and a half it's just on a lot bigger volume because right right their starting point guard is gone so when when you guys say that you need that you may need to calm down on him what are we talking where where, where are you putting him right now oh <laughs> yeah numbers yeah i'm making you put a number on wow it. okay can- Rucker, can I go first? So yeah, yeah, for please, me, please. I'm what I'm thinking right now, <laughs> real crazy. Right? I know, I know. Bail him out. <laughs> so if he were to come into the draft this year, like I, I would have no problem taking him in the second round. Like I really do feel that. Like even like early, middle, second round, I'd feel totally fine taking him because it's you're just take you're you're just making a bet that he's just gonna keep getting better from here. Like if you look at his stats right now from his freshman year, sophomore year, you can kind of feel like, oh, that bump is coming next year. If he comes back for his junior season, you're gonna see 15, 7, and 7 and be like, all right, cool. First rounder, no problem. Um, and then, like, when I look at the roster, too, like, I feel like next year, Tabellis is going to come back. Crease is going to come back. Balo is going to be there, right? Um, who That that guy, Ball, right? He's probably going to be there as a sophomore. That's a pretty fun roster to, for him to come back to and potentially be, like, the superstar there. So if he goes back and has, like, a 15-7-7 and 7 next year, he'll be in the lottery no problem. So that's exciting for him. But if he came out in the draft this year, I'd have no problem taking, taking him, like, I don't know, in the 30s or 40s. Rucker, he, he filibustered long enough. If he declared this year? Yeah. I'd take him the first. I, I, I would 100% if I was picking the late 20s, I'd take him in the first round. Um, because I think there's a lot of uncertainty. I've said this with you, Metcalf. There's a lot of uncertainty with this point guard class. Yep. And he's going to yeah, be a yeah. gadget guard. He's going to not need to score to really help your team. And his thing is why I want him to go back for another year is he, put, he needs to put on some weight. Um, he's around, you know, ESPN has him at six, seven, one ninety five. He just needs to put on some smart weight um, just to kind of deal with the wear and tear of going up against bigger guys or um, going in the paint, you know, stuff like that. He just needs to fill out a little bit, but boy, that there's some really fun basketball in that, in that, 
type of talent. And, and it's like you're saying, Metcalf, he's he's playing 26 minutes a game this year, and he's averaging seven four and almost seven five and four on almost 50 percent shooting. So he can produce. It's just yeah. now we're getting it at a higher volume, like you're saying. And I think guys like that um, that have still so much upside. I, I really do think someone's going to try to promise him because I hate the term with every inch of my body, but that's the pre-draft philosophy where I think it's better to say draft and develop. You draft a guy and develop him for a while. And then you all of a sudden just, you know, unleash a monster. And, and I really do think Terry, like I know that's a hot take. Albert's right there with the 30 to 40. That's probably realistic if he declared. Um, but I do think like, Shit, someone, the Warriors in the first round might be like, yeah, we'll take it. We'll just add another serious upside guy that, you know, that's some Sean Livingston vibes. The Golden State Warriors, Sean Livingston yeah. vibes if they got him in it. But that also might be one that can shoot from outside. So um, I just really, really like his game. And, and I think he's 19, according to Real GM. Um, another year if he came out and added some weight got a little bit more confidence. He was the guy. I think he would definitely be a really special prospect to keep an eye on. Right. Yeah. I'm glad that you mentioned Sean Livingston. Cause like, I, I just kind of inevitably think that with big point guards who are d- defensive monsters and really good passers, but can't quote unquote shoot. Um, but then, you know, another guy who I think really fits that kind of mold is a guy we saw go in the first just a couple of years ago, Leandro Bomaro. I get mm-hmm. si- situation and age are a little different, but the playmaking, the defense, the athleticism, the size is all there. I don't think Terry's shot is as broken as Bomaro's is, but you know, the, the more we talk through it and the more we kind of go through what Terry's doing and has been doing, it's like, ah, yeah, I know a, a, a late first, I don't think is out of the question. It feels absurd because he hasn't been on any draft boards really. Right. All season, it feels reactionary, but just thinking about all the Arizona games we all watch, and it's like he's been doing this just at a smaller level. Um, someone who hasn't had any issue with role and who has been a starter all season, uh, Jabari Walker from Colorado, who I have seen span the entire range of draft boards from lottery to not draftable to outside of a top 100 so walker's really tough for me um at colorado i don't know what to do with him you guys saw him live albert i want to start with you what what were your impressions with him i think his play in vegas really just it's it's exactly what you, you just said it's hard to know what to do with the guy because he had such a weird tournament even in vegas like his first game like cool like he was kind of all over the place then his second game he kind of popped off and like literally could have missed from three he was going crazy um i think in the second game against arizona he had, oh yeah like oh he only had 19 points i thought he had more than that um, but he was like, seems really like it, three. Albert. It's, yeah, <laughs> it seemed like, well, he was five for six from three in that game. So I think that's why it was like kind of unreal. Um, but I am kind of like you Metcalf. I don't really know exactly what to do with him. Cause when you see him in person, like he's a, he's a pretty big kid. You can understand why there's intrigue with him. He looks mm-hmm. taller than six, eight. 
And, you know, I think the biggest thing for us, we're like, okay, is he going to shoot enough? And the first game, he did struggle a bit, right? Although they ended up winning against um, Oregon. I think he was, yeah, he was like two for five from three, four for 11 from the field. Not the best, right? And so, or four for 11 from two, I think. And so it's just, you know, there are things where you're like, okay, this is nice. He had some instances where he threw some really nice passes. And we're like, dude, that's awesome. That looks really cool. Defensively, too, had a couple nice blocks. Um, I think it was the Arizona game. He had a really nice block. I don't remember who who it was against, uh, who was an, who it was on. But overall, th- there are flashes, but then also there are moments where he just kind of disappears, and that is not so fun either. So I'm kind of with you, man. I, I don't really know where to have him. So I think on my personal board, I had him pretty like towards the back end. So. Yeah. yeah, and c- currently I- I'm like late second round kind of right now because, and he's, like you said, he's listed at like 6'8", six, 6'9", six, but it feels like he's closer to 6'10", and more moves like that. And I'm, one of my biggest hesitations or frustrations with him is that I'm not quite sure how to project him defensively. It feels like they try to play him as a three, but the way he moves laterally feels more like a four- I don't know if it's just he's stiff or heavy footed Rucker. What were your um, impressions of him as a defender, both kind of on and off ball? Yeah, we went to that tournament and Jabari was who I had a bone to pick with because I, I I'm like you guys. I, I was so just kind of all over the place. I was like, man, I, I don't know what to do. Cause you know, Smocky Walker's kid, obviously I'm a sucker for bloodlines in the NBA. Um, and like he's been on a tear lately for Colorado. I mean, his last 17 games, he's averaging 16 points, 10 rebounds, and he's shooting his shooting splits are 47, 45, and 85. So I mean, like Metcalf, you and Albert probably are the same way. Like, you can't ignore production for too long. You you, <laughs> you finally have to be like, okay, what what's going on here? Um, and me and Albert watched him against Oregon. And he had a really, like, if you looked at the box score, you'd be like, yeah, he had a great game. Um, he had 18 and 16. But it, it was weird because me and Albert watching, I was like, man, I don't know. Like, it, it was just kind of all over the place offensively. And then Arizona, he goes crazy and he can't miss a shot from three. And me and I was like, I guess, Albert, we're getting the Jabari Walker game. Like, he was just a force. And that game, I left the Oregon game kind of like, I don't know. And then that Arizona game it wasn't just the outside shot. Like he was active defensively. He was making plays passing. You know what it is? His defense, when he's locked, he can be a, a, a problem. Like he, yeah. he has that potential to really, I think he's more confident defensively. Like he moves around the floor with definitely a, a higher feel and like confidence, I guess. I was trying to get a little bit more creative than using that word twice, but... No, you nailed it. That was impressive. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, You know what it is offensively? When he has to put the ball down, I don't think he knows what to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Because he can finish around the basket. He can get to the free throw line. He can space the floor. But when he has to create, I think he's still... His body's moving before his mind. So he's like... He's, he just has to figure out some counters. He has to figure out, like, an NBA team is going to be like, is he going to just be a, a floor spacer with defensive ability? Because there's talent there, um, and the numbers have been really impressive, but I'm I'm still unsettled about him. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I still am struggling where to want him because I want to buy in 
Yeah. Um, especially because of what you're saying, Metcalf, like defense. I was impressed defensively because he can really offer some rim protection. He came out of nowhere a couple times where I was like, whoa, yeah. that was nice. And it was against Arizona. Um, and he's he's big. I think that's what I said to Albert. Yeah, um, he, he feels bigger than the 6'8 or 6'9 that right. he's listed. Yeah, he felt, he felt 6'10 with length and right. going to add weight, good yeah. weight. Like I, The moment he walked on the court, I grabbed Albert. I was like, Albert, he's big. Like, he looks big. And um, it, it's just one of those interesting ones. Like I think you get late enough in the second round, I think some team's going to be like, that is the type of – developmental piece we want to gamble on um because there's there's flashes i just think he's got to figure out the rest of his offense like there's got to be some versatility because if the outside shot's not falling i'm not sure what he's doing because it's just like the handles come and go and if the first look isn't there i think he kind of gets to like a what am i doing but albert did tell me a couple times like he, he's impressed me with his passing. I was like, yeah, I, I, I was not expecting that. So I know I rambled a little bit there, but that's how puzzled I am with Jabari. Like I want to buy in so bad. Yeah, it, it was fitting. But I, I think the most important thing that you pointed out was his production over the last 17 games, because he got off to an absolutely horrid start. And you went through his shooting splits and, you know, he's still only at 35 and a half percent from three on the season. So that just, that really shows you how, how rough of a start he got off to. And the fact that he's built it back up to where it is now on 3.2 attempts per game is really impressive because last season he was at 52.3% from three on 1.7 attempts. And the fact that the free throw percentage has remained almost identical on almost triple the volume, I think is a really good indicator that, this rough start to the season is more of the outlier of who he is as a shooter than what we've seen recently. The issue is what is he on offense? And Albert, you know, we, we've, we, we've all kind of said that we, he feels bigger than whatever yeah. he's listed at right now. The fact that he doesn't seem to do much, you know, putting the ball on the ground, but he is really effective in the post. Could you see him, as like a small ball five at the next level in a five out system. Yeah. I mean, I think he has, that kind of has to be where he's at. I think he has to play the four and maybe a little bit of small ball five. I think the biggest thing with him, when you guys were talking about him, even defensively and offensively, both of it, I think he lacks a lot of mobility in his hips. Mm -hmm. His hips can be pretty stiff. Um, and I think that's what kind of messes with him a little bit. And also, like, when he's dribbling with the ball, what, what Rucker said was spot on. Like, it, it, sometimes his mind is moving too fast for his body. And also, like, sometimes he's just a little too upright and it's not very clean sometimes, I think, with the handle. And there are times where you, he has to make quicker decisions with the ball that he's not able to make right now. And I think that might be just a lack of experience with the ball in his hands or just something he's going to have to work on, right? But I think, ideally, a team's got to look at him as, all right, can he end up up being like not that he'll ever be anywhere near this type of guy but every damn team is looking for a draymond right so can we develop him into some sort of um discount draymond right a draymond light where he's a guy who uh offensively he's going to be able to shoot a little bit set some screens make do some playmaking make some decisions with the ball in his hands as a passer and then hopefully defensively being hopefully 6'10 
using his size and his length. And as Rucker mentioned, like some of the instincts with him defensively were really, really good to see, especially against Arizona. He was doing stuff that we were just not expecting at all. And I think the biggest difference between the Oregon game and the Arizona game was his mentality. He, I think he knew the moment and he knew who he was playing. And he was like, oh, I'm not just going to like sit back and have a shitty game and have NBA, um, NBA scouts be like, oh, all right, this kid didn't bring it in the biggest game of the season. Like he really brought it that night and he understood the moment. And so that was really encouraging to see because he stepped up his game for a big game. And that was it. You know, some guys will shrivel and some guys will hide and run from those types of moments. And Jabari was like, no, I'm here. I'm going to fight. I'm going to do everything that I can to keep us close. And it was actually a kind of close game until the end. So, um, yeah, to answer your question, Metcalf, I could definitely see him being a small ball five. I think he just needs to continue to work on the handle and the playmaking and the shooting. But as you guys mentioned, like the shooting also passes the eye test, too. Like when you see mm-hmm. him shoot in warmups and stuff, it's it's a pretty fluid looking shot. So if he's going to be 6'10 and have those toolsy types of attributes, then yeah, you could definitely see him being a small ball five in, the, in on the next level. And while Jabari has really frustrated me, um, a guy who's made me pull my hair out because I have no idea what to do with him legitimately is Harrison Ingram. Um, the fact that I've seen a lot more people than me have him top 20 doesn't quite make sense um i i understand that or well okay let, let me rephrase that when you watch him play it's really clear that he knows exactly what's going on every single play i think his basketball iq is through the roof but the production could not be more underwhelming i don't think um so i he's he's a 6 8 230 pound forward from stanford 10 and a half points 6.7 rebounds three assists and 39 31 66 shooting splits and i think that's the big issue is how does he get his points and rucker i i I know i've vented my frustrations and confusion with ingram to you all season long where where are you at with him after seeing him live yeah so like i i said in the beginning that me and albert were pumped to go to vegas to see you know, obviously like Arizona, UCLA, I basically went on a war path to figure out Jabari Walker and Harrison Ingram. Cause I was like, I, I got to figure out what's going on with these guys. And Ingram was secretly kind of the one that I, I was puzzled to Metcalf. I wanted to f- see what it's all about. Um, getting there, seeing him, I get the intrigue. He's not ready. Um, I, I, I've left watching that game pretty adamant of that. But I was more pleased and surprised than I thought I was going to be. Stanford gives him the ball a lot. He, he's got to mm-hmm. run the show. Um, he runs the offense. He's kind of like their playmaking forward. Like they, they often let him bring the ball up and he's kind of putting everyone in position. I think he knows what to do with the ball. Like he's got some really intriguing playmaking vision. The confidence is just a little all over. Um, he shows some flashes off the dribble that I was really intrigued with. And then they'd kind of just disappear. There's just some inconsistency, and I think the confidence is really not there. I, I think it comes and goes. Like when he's feeling good, like yeah, I, I really like the player. He made some awesome passes that I was like, that's impressive vision. But and like he got his shot going a little bit. I think when me and Albert were watching that game, like all of a sudden he was hitting a couple shots. And I was like, okay, like that was pretty. But there's also you know he can spray it. So I just think 
he's got a, a the frame looks good. Like he's got some good muscle. He's a little thick. I think he could, he needs to like kind of not slim down. I think he just needs to get a little, he needs to spend an off season in the weight room, add a little bit more muscle and he'd be a, a brick shit house. But I, I was intrigued with him. I think coming out would probably be a bad call for him. And I'm not trying to root against him and tell him advice because I doubt Harrison's really going to be listening to me right now, but I think another year he could really be something to watch. Like I think he could really use it and it could really have his game take off because I do like the tools. I I was Mm -hmm. pleasantly surprised at how much I like the tools, but I think the confidence now has got to come in. And I think another year of him being really the guy, um, I, I would be very intrigued. Because the playmaking, the the vision, and like I said, just the, the upside, I, I really do think it's there. Albert, what was your kind of impression of Ingram entering the tournament? And then after seeing him live, what did that change at all? Was anything reaffirmed? Do you feel better about your earlier kind of evaluation? Um, yeah, I ended up leaving lower on him than when I came in um, to the tournament. And I... I have to be honest, you know, I actually don't have him in my top 60 right now. Um, I took him out of my top 60 after seeing him live. And it's a couple of things. I think, Rucker, as you mentioned, the playmaking, you see it. Like You talk about mm-hmm. guys who have feel on the court and guys who, yeah. like, are intellectually there. And that, like, something that I talk about with Corey a lot on the Draft Deck NBA podcast, a shameless <laughs> plug. Uh, but something that I like to talk about a lot when we're talking about guys who are good passers is it, it's not just that they're good at passing. They, they, they can feel their teammates on the court. There's a weird ESP connection that they have with their with their their teammates that you can't really teach no matter how hard you try. And it mm-hmm. felt like Ingram has that. My issue with Ingram, and I know like we're, we're in the age of body shaming and people don't like that stuff, so I don't want to shame his body, but you see it in his legs. Like I saw him walking around the court and there was not a lot of definition in his legs, which is weird considering he's a basketball player. And what that told me is like, I think he's got to hit the gym a little bit this summer. And I think he needs to tone down a little bit. I would like to see him kind of tighten up a little bit, you know, with his frame. Um, he the word that came to mind as I was watching him, I thought he was a little bit doughy was how I felt. And I thought it had an effect on his game. He didn't show a lot of burst, um, as we mentioned with the shooting, like it, it, it didn't look very pretty. You see him shoot in warmups and it, there, there was nothing about his shooting that made us go, oh, he's going to start nailing these in the game. It wasn't there. It really wasn't there. He's back rimming everything. It didn't look good. He looked kind of nonchalant in warmups too that I wasn't really happy about. Like when you watch like other guys, guys that I love, like when I watch Hawkes in warmups, he's doing stuff that he's going to try in the game. And I'm like, I love that. Jaime, keep doing that. Ingram didn't have the same energy and I, and I wasn't impressed by that. So for me, I think eventually like next, if he comes back, to Stanford and has himself a good season, then yeah, of course he's going to be a guy that you're looking at given a really hard look in the first round. But right now I had to take him out of my top 60 because I think there's still a long way for him to go developmentally. Yeah. And it's weird that like with him, the basketball IQ and the feel for the game is almost tangible where, you know, so, so often those things can be misinterpreted differently depending on who's watching it. But when you watch him, it's like, oh, it, it's right there. Like I see it. I can almost feel it. And I, I think another freshman who we get kind of stretches of this with is Peyton Watson. 
And you guys were there, saw arguably his most impressive 10 minutes of the entire season. Um, You saw it live. And for anyone concerned, just because you played 10 minutes does not mean you suck at basketball. So Rucker, when, when you walked away from watching Peyton Watson live, did you, did, did your opinion change at all? Or were you like, okay, yes, this, this is the, you know, five-star prospect that we were all hoping for at the start of the year. My opinion changed completely. And and I could not, I would have bet all of the money that I have in the entire world and said that I would have not from going to that tournament. Um, it was insane. Uh, it, it was like almost funny. Me and Albert were like in the stands laughing hysterically. We're like, what is going on? So, you know, if you don't know about Peyton Watson, this was a guy that was preseason going to potentially be a top 10, maybe even top five pick. Um, super lengthy with just really intriguing tools, especially defensively, has some playmaking ability. And, you know, he's just been a roller coaster. It's been a disappointing year. Um, he just hasn't been able to carve out consistent minutes. He's kind of shown a couple flashes and then disappears for a stretch of games. And he came in the second game we saw of UCLA, he came against, came in against USC at the end of the half. And then to start the second half, they like played him right away. Me and Albert were like, what's going on? And he played nine minutes and it was probably the most impressive nine minute stretch I've seen in a little bit. Like, I'm not talking about like the big boys with like Chet and stuff, but what he did in those nine minutes, I was like, that is why he's hyped. That is why he's a top five prospect. I mean, he had five points, but he was two for two from the field. He had like a rebound, an assist, a steal, a block. He was all over the place. He was just being so damn active. And I was like, this is what you're talking about with potential. Like that, when I saw Peyton Watson flying all over the court and his confidence is just when he has some confidence going, you see why he could be a a lottery pick. And you saw the confidence. He hit that first three, and it was nothing but net. And I was like, uh-oh, here we go. And he was flying all over. He was making weak side rejections. He was crashing the glass. He was driving the lane and finishing with touch. I mean, you were just like, what are we looking at? Like, where's this guy been? And, and, and yeah, I, I left there going – I a lot of people out there have said, you know, Peyton Watson has to go back. Peyton Watson has to go back. I don't know. Um, I still think even after a nightmare year, this could be a guy that gets in gyms and in workouts and teams are like, Hey, we've scouted him since high school. We're not judging one year. We, we know there's tools. We know there's a serious basketball player there. I, I still think he could declare. And I still think he could go a little higher than we're expecting. I, I know you hate this term with every fiber of your being, but I think this is really the quote unquote pre-draft guy yeah. of this year because the, the big the thing poster the, child. The the big thing with that is is his developmental opportunity at UCLA better than it will be in the NBA. And I don't think it will, because they have some really talented kids coming in next year and they're gonna get the ball. I don't see a, a world where Peyton Watson is necessarily getting a significantly improved role or minutes across the board and given the chance to really grow his game. But Albert and we were all really, really impressed with that stretch that he had, but why haven't we seen more of that this season? 
Well, okay. So I think the best way for me to describe why we haven't seen that is to explain to you guys why I have Peyton Watson at 52 on my board. I believe Peyton Watson is a top 10 talent. Like, I think he's that freaking good. I put him at 52 on my board. Like, I know Mick Cronin will never see my board, but it's like (laughs) I wanted to send a message to him. Like, you bastard. Because of you, Peyton Watson is 52 on my board. You You did this. You, Mick, you did this. Wicked man. Because watching him during that nine-minute stretch, like, First off, Rucker is next to me just having like a conniption. Like this guy <laughs> I does not know breathe. what to do with I his hands out. or his feet. Like he could have just started doing a dance in the middle of the aisle. We were losing it, both of us, because it was so impressive. And like I was watching him defensively and I'm like, wow, okay. For anybody who watches the NBA, you look at like, look at the success that Herb Jones has had this season in his rookie year right? As a defender, you watch how Herb Jones moves and he competes and he uses his length. You look at like a Matisse Thibel. You look at all these guys in the NBA who are elite perimeter defenders. Watch those guys and tell me that Peyton Watson doesn't give you a chub. Like it's (laughs) unbelievable how amazing Peyton Watson is when you watch him like move on the floor. It's crazy. Like it's actually crazy. He's such a fluid mover athletically like it's not just functional it's not just for show like it's amazing and then he has broomsticks for arms it's crazy dude like he has so much length it's beautiful it's beautiful there is to go off what albert said like there is scary defensive potential like really scary i'm like i'm like albert we were sitting there i was like look at him move and you know we had seen him earlier in the year when he got to play some minutes um I think it was against Bellerman. Yeah. yeah, It was one of those teams before they played Gonzaga and he got to play and we were like, man, he can move. And then seeing it again, it was just after that first shot went down and you're like, Oh my gosh, this kid just, it's like the weight got lifted off his shoulders and he was just flying all over the place. And you're like, Oh man, like some team might just be like, dude, just, just go play and, and we will figure it out. Like he just needs, minutes like he just needs some confidence and the the thing that also impressed me with him was after they took him out like he made one mistake after he was just on a heater and I remember sitting and I said it out loud and I think Albert was laughing I was like Mick don't do it and he literally took him out and I was like (laughs) son of a bitch And, and literally the moment he took him out I I just watched Watson I was like how's he gonna react because I was like is he gonna be down and they, they went on a run and someone hit a big shot and he like, someone called a timeout and he just jumped up and like sprinted out was the first guy just like hyping everyone up. And I was like, gosh, like, okay, I, I, I get it. I'm a believer. And, and the last thing I just want to say about him is, you know, there's been a lot of people out there like, okay, he should go back and transfer or he should go to the G League Ignite. And I'm like, why? No, no, he should not. Why wouldn't he just get out, go declare and develop with the team? Um, you know, my hot take has been if Peyton Watson did the shade and sharp, are we still talking mm. about Peyton Watson as a top 10 pick? I think mm. there's an argument there. Yeah. Like I, I really do. Um, but we're all obsessing because he hasn't played a lot. And when he's played, he's looked raw and it's like, full fuck. I mean, go watch Giannis in Greece and tell me if you were thinking he was raw. So right. that's my thing. Right. Now I'm going to it's- bad for Peyton Watson. And I did not <laughs> see this coming at the beginning of the no. year. No, I'm really quickly. Shocked. 
Go ahead. <laughs> like it's a Mick Cronin thing. Like I feel like it's Goodwill Hunting. Somebody needs to be Robin Williams and grab Matt Damon and be like, "It's not your fault," you know. Like Peyton Watson just needs his confidence back because Mick Cronin did this. You did this. <laughs> you need to pay because you have destroyed his draft stock. Anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, and, but, and before uh, I give yeah. it back to Metcalf, Mick Cronin's a hell of a coach. Yeah. They're probably going to have a really good <laughs> tournament. So I'm not downplaying him, but we're just having fun here. We like to have fun, yeah. but yeah, we're just kidding. I just get frustrated because I was like, let the boy play. Let him yeah. let him run wild. He's a peacock. You got to let him fly. <laughs> if I was a much better editor, there'd be a million movie quotes and scenes that I'd be. I'd be. <laughs> I'll take care of it. I'd, 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 I'd be splicing in here. Um, but you guys got a little hot with your takes earlier. Um, we're almost an hour in. So, you know, may, maybe people are tuning me out at this point. So I want to get a little weird. I think Herb Jones and Matisse Thibel are probably the more appropriate and likely comps. However, what if I said, what if, what are the chances there's some Jimmy Butler in this game? Oh, oh, tell us more. Uh, ooh. Wait, Metcalf, tell us more. I want to hear more. This is interesting. Yeah, let's put you on the spot. Screw this. So- just throw it right back at you. <laughs> So I'm, Why is he Jimmy seven, Butler? But so, he's I'm a, not saying he's Jimmy Butler. He's, oh, he has okay, he needs to trouble. no. He, well, he's a Jimmy Butler that needs to go to the buffet. My man's yes. skinny. Yes. But yeah. um, go ahead. Go ahead. So the, I I think that that defensive versatility, that defensive mindset, the tenaciousness of there. I think he's a better rim protector than Jimmy. Um, his shot blocking's absurd, especially for six seven. Um, but I think he can guard especially once he gets bulks up almost, you know, one through four, uh, then the shots not there. I think that has a long way to go, obviously, but entering the season, what I loved most about him was the passing. And I think he is an absurd passer, especially for his position. Um, maybe not necessarily like lead guy passer, but someone who can really see the floor is willing to make live dribble passes, um, and ex- execute some things that, you really don't expect from that from that position. I think Jimmy Butler defensively. Yeah. Um, Jimmy Butler, I love Jimmy Butler. Like yes. it, yeah. he offensively is a damn problem. So I'm not going to say Peyton Watson's Jimmy Butler, but they could both be in that same conversation defensively because like Peyton has that upside. Will he ever mm-hmm. reach it? We don't know. He's got to go to the right. Teams, yeah, that's all I'm talking about. Like really 99th yeah. percentile outcome. Like, but no, I mean right. everyone's gonna hear this and be like, "Oh, Peyton Watson's Jimmy Butler," and it's like, no, like, he has a very, <laughs> very, very long road people. to get to that. Um, right. But there's really special tools defensively, and it's not, mm-hmm. it's not just the shot blocking. It's the lateral movement at his size and yes. length. It is the ability to switch on anyone, and he doesn't care. Like, he has yeah. the confidence defensively right now mm-hmm. that he can guard anyone. Like there is mm-hmm. no hesitation with that. I think when he's on defense, he's like, let's go. I I, I can guard anyone across from me. And, and I do think, you know, when he's confident, he's a whole different player. Everyone is, but especially Peyton Watson, like that first shot, yep. me and Albert saw him hit the three pointer. You could just see like, it was a kid mm-hmm. on Christmas, that next possession. He was like, right. All right, here we go. Like I hit a shot and I come, I'm, I'm going to be flying all over the place, but mm-hmm. he has, he is going to be something to keep an eye on because even yeah. the nightmare year, I, I really do think some team's going to be like, this could be the home run swing that is worth taking. Um, yeah. 
like Brooklyn, Milwaukee, teams like that might be like, screw this. We're taking this cut, you know? Yeah. Um, go ahead, Albert. I, I, I've no. just, I'm a fan now. No, just to piggyback off of what uh, Metcalf said with the passing, like he threw an inch perfect lob during that game that we were watching. And then you and I were like, where the hell did that was? That's exactly what we've been looking for in terms of playmaking. Like give the guy an opportunity to spread his wings. He's a peacock, right? Yeah, like let him go. You let him, let him do... fly. You know? Exactly. He's not just one of these other guys. He can be a main guy, <laughs> you know, is how I, we're having fun tonight. Uh, but he, he can, I, I'm telling you, like he is, such an intriguing fun prospect who should be so much higher on boards it's just mick did the damn thing this year so hopefully he gets more of an opportunity to do that on the next level and like i mentioned before like i think you know like for people maybe who haven't watched as much nba this season like herb jones is having one hell of a rookie season you know and if peyton watson can come in and be given an opportunity to do something like that that'll just be i think like the launch pad for him like i see that as the the floor for him he can really be a lot more than even what herb jones has shown this season is how i feel i i, I agree with albert i i loved herb jones uh, mm-hmm. out of college yeah. and everyone was obsessing with his shot and like how he couldn't but herb was their playmaker they gave yeah, her the ball yeah they gave him the ball they let him do stuff and Peyton doesn't get to do that because yeah. they have too many veterans. Um, they stash him in the corner and I'm like, okay, so you have a guy sitting in the corner. That's not a three point shooter. And you know, I get it. If, if they believe that Peyton's not ready to, to be running an offense, if, if he's not, you know, the handles aren't there fine. I understand it, but I still think like there's playmaking potential. Um, and that's a guy you really want to draft and develop. So. Yeah, and and that's just what frustrates me the most about his season is that he didn't get that run early in the season when they're playing these low-level Cal State teams. Yes. And it's like, just throw him out there for 15 minutes. Let him go do do his thing. You're up by 30. Who cares? But someone who hasn't struggled to get opportunities is Jaime Jaquez, who I may be the lowest on the no-ceilings group um, with Jaquez. So my, my thing is... I wouldn't be surprised if he sticks around in the league for a while as a solid rotation guy. I'm just not sure that he, that you can't find what he gives you in the undrafted market. So Albert, I know you're really high on hockey as you have been all season. So just torch me, go for it. No, I, I don't want to torch you. I want to kill you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm slowly torturing. Just, uh, yeah. just kidding. Just I'm gonna just hurt kidding. you really, really bad. <laughs> no, you know what? It, it's funny. I, I think Metcalf, the point that you're making about like, could you find him somewhere else in the undrafted pool? I, I think it's worth. It, it's definitely worth talking about, right? The thing for me though is I've been high on him all season long. Right. Like, especially when he walked past me after using the bathroom and I saw him and his physique and his frame, I was like, this is all after the bathroom, right? Exactly. (laughs) After he dropped a fat deuce, I was like, wow, this kid looks like Gordon Hayward physically. 
it, it was awesome to see how big of a kid he was. And then like we were uh, we were on the floor watching them warm up and stuff. And he is sneaky athletic. He doesn't really get to show it much on the court. He's not going up and dunking it in people's faces. But he is a he's an athletic wing, you know. But the, the thing that really changed my mind or no, sorry, did not change my mind, but really reaffirmed what I've been feeling was when we went and saw him this trip, he was hitting shots that you need to hit in the NBA. Like some of the baseline turnaround shots that he was hitting, yeah. these were really tough, but silky smooth shots that he was hitting over guys that were much taller than him. And the three-point shooting, I think, is pro- progressing well, well. When you see him shoot it from three, it looks good, man. And I think he's really going to be able to be this wing that'll play for a contender and do all kinds of things. And I don't think he is a jack of all trades, master of none. I actually do think he's going to be really good at certain things. I think eventually he's going to be an above average shooter. He's going to be a good playmaker. Not that he's, you're going to run your offense through him or anything like that, but as a secondary tertiary creator, you're going to be able to trust him with the ball in his hands because Cronin literally trusted him with the ball in his hands all season long because Juzang did not have the season that I think people thought he was going to have after that NCAA run last year, the tournament run last year. Um, but uh, Juzang is a different conversation. But for me, once again, I think Haquez, I, I'm not saying he's going to be a number one and he's going to be this unbelievable, you know, multi-time all-star or whatever. I just think he's like the perfect third guy for your team. He's going to he's going to defend his ass off. He's going to hit tough shots. He's going to hit the three. He's going to shoot free throws well. Like I just I like guys like that who he's going to be able to plug a lot of holes for you in different spots. And he can even play up a little bit because he's so strong. So that's the reason why I'm so high on Hawkes. But at the same time, I, I can definitely understand why you're entertaining the whole undrafted pool of thoughts. Rucker, you were nodding throughout all that. And I, I know your thoughts on Hawkes. So I know that you relatively or align more closely with Albert at least but on draft night there'll be plenty of guys who go over Hakez so if things don't go right for him if you know why why are, will teams pass on him the outside shot needs to be a bit more consistent for Hame to stick for a very long time um if he could become a consistent three-point shooter I think he could play in the league for a very, very long time. I, I, I liked his game the first time me and Albert saw him. Um, those shots Albert's talking about that he hit, I was like, whoa, those are NBA caliber shots. Like, it, And it 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 shocked me because it didn't happen just once. It happened multiple times over multiple games. And I was like, okay, Hame, like, I, I see you. You know what it is, Metcalf? I, he's not going to be a sexy pick. He's going to be this guy that everyone's going to be like, what's his upside? It's like taking an offensive lineman. Exactly. But you got to do it sometimes. Like you have to take the, the smart player that is going to be another piece to the puzzle. And Hame, like we did our updated big board or composite board at no ceilings. Um, I forget where we had him completely. Unless one of you guys know what number it was, but um, I had him at 40th on my big board. Um, and it won't shock me if he goes earlier than that, way earlier. It will not shock me if a playoff team at the end of the first round just says, give 30. us Hame Hawkes. What, what was he? 39. So 39. So I was one off, you know, I'm pretty much a genius, but, um, yeah, don't, 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 don't. Um, <laughs> I, I really do think like, I've joked about this 
and I've pretty much said this with every prospect now, but like Golden State taking him wouldn't shock me. <laughs> just just being like, that's our that's our bench glue guy that plays really smart that we don't have to worry about. He's going to understand how to make an impact without trying to create his all the time. And, and Hame understands where to get to his spots. He really impressed me defensively. Um, I think he's tough as, as nails. Yeah. Um, when they played USC and he went up against Isaiah Mobley, he was basically yes. like, no, I'm taking yeah. Isaiah Mobley every possession. And he gave him fits and he's given him fits multiple times throughout the year. So I just think Hamme's going to not be a sexy pick to people because he, he doesn't have all this upside and we kind of know what he's probably going to be at the next level. But he also might be a guy that you have to have on the floor in crunch time minutes throughout his career. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm a believer. And, and, you know, I have him at 40 and I'm still like, man, like he probably deserves to be higher. Like, and I know you have him really low, Metcalf, but, you know, I think the fans know what your big boards look like, you know, from previous years. So I'm going to murder you. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm glad that you mentioned Golden State, Uh, not just because it seems like everyone on the face of the earth could fit in Golden State system because they probably could. Um, But I kind of get a lot of like Juan Toscano Anderson vibes kind of from him where he's going to do these the dirty work. He's going to do the little things and it may not leap off the box score. When you watch him, it's not like that guy's taking over this game, but it's teams don't win without those guys. So I, I, I admit I'm, I'm probably a little too low and you know, it, it's an ever moving, ever moving board. Um, but his ability to really grind it out in the paint and battle with guys on defense and pick up his teammates slack on both ends of the floor, I think it, it, it is really important and it, it does deserve more credit than, you know, the, the initial watch through or the box scores suggest. Given that it is tournament time, I would be remiss if we didn't at least mention this guy. And it is Johnny Juzang, who kind of feels like he missed out on a huge opportunity uh, to capitalize on last year's tournament run. Um, I don't know how in depth we need to go with him, but do either of you guys have a draftable grade on Juzang at this point? Uh, <laughs> I do not. Um, yeah. I was either. pretty bummed about watching him. Yeah. Um, I, I, I never root against anyone ever. I, I always not. wanted to be positive and, and, you know, just watching him, I was like, man, he's really struggling. Like he, he, he's just, He's struggling to create, and, and when that shot's not falling, I'm like, man, okay, what's going on, Johnny? Like, what what, what are we doing? You know, and, because he struggled to create off the bounce. He was he was missing some mid range shots that were wide open. I was like, man, you never miss those. Like the, that that was your bread and butter last year. Like, so I left a little underwhelmed. Um, it will not shock me if he just goes nuclear for the next couple of weeks. Like yep. I, I think we've all seen that. We're all getting prepared for that wild card swing. Johnny just has to kind of figure out like his, his, his versatility. Um, I think at the beginning of the year, he was hunting his shot viciously. Um, and then now it seems like it's kind of come and gone. Um, you know, Hawkes has really been hot for UCLA. So maybe that's been playing part of it. I mean, I think he was averaging like 22 points over the last six or seven games for UCLA. So maybe Johnny's like, Hey, I'm feeding the hot hand. But I just I, – I don't really know. Um, it's crazy looking at his stats. Like, they're almost identical to last year. 
Absolutely identical. He's averaging 16 points per game this year. He averaged 16 points a game last year. Um, field goal percentage last year, 44.1. This year, 43.5. Uh, Three-point percentage, 35.3 last year, 36.2 this year. So, I mean, it, it, it just – it's been a disappointment because I thought there was a chance he could take a bit of a step forward, and it seems like it's almost just been the same. And a big tournament run could save him. But I just don't know – I feel like he was a really tough shot maker last year, and yes. I don't know if, if – it hasn't seemed like that's still been the – as – efficient and go-to as this year it, it seems like that's kind of gone away or fizzled out so i'm rooting for johnny i i hope i'm praying for him that like he has a really strong tournament again because maybe some teams convinced and they will draft him but me personally right now like i i, I don't have him in my top 60 but like i said I'm, I'm rooting for every guy and he could be an undrafted guy that goes to summer league and earns his way onto a roster. Like there's no doubt that Johnny has the ability to score, but it'll be interesting. Yeah. I, for me, I definitely don't have a draftable grade on him. I don't have him in my top 60. I think for me, like coming into the season, he clearly worked on his body and he wanted to bulk up a little bit. The only thing is like, it's nice that he bulked up a little bit, but we don't see any difference in the game. Like it doesn't seem like he added functional mass where it's affecting his game, where he's going to the rim harder and finishing over, you know, through contact or whatever. Like you, we're just not seeing the strides that we thought we would see with an improved body. And I think that's been the most discouraging part. The handle looks the same. Like it, the handle doesn't look like it's gotten much better at all. So if you consider all those things, like, you know, for me, like I'm rooting for my Asian American brother and I'm hoping like he can pop off and do well, but it's just, it's not there. And, I, I, all I could think about was like, yeah, like Rucker said, like maybe he has a great summer league and then three years from now, he's the MVP of the Adriatic League. And that's not like, that's not a slight, right? That's not me saying like, oh, he's a failure. I, I think somebody on Twitter posted this, this recently, like playing overseas is not, that is not a slight against a professional basketball no, player. It's really all. hard to play overseas, but I, I'm just thinking like him as an NBA level prospect, I just don't know if he's there. And I could see him having a very, very successful career overseas, somewhere else in the Greek league, in the Turkish league, the German league, wherever. It's just in terms of like the NBA, I just don't think there's enough pop in any aspect of his game where he would be somebody that you would want to add to an NBA roster is kind of where I think he's ending up right now. So he might have missed his shot last year. Um, just to go off what Albert says, like, it's a really important point. Like us saying he goes overseas, like a lot of guys go overseas and then figure out how to be a more all around basketball player and then have very good careers in the mm -hmm. NBA. It is not a slap in the face. Um, and another thing, like Johnny's just, he's on a cold streak right now. I mean, he had a 10 game stretch where he was averaging almost 20 points per game with shooting splits of 47 43 and 87 and then now his his last five games he's averaging nine points a game with shooting splits of 37 27 50 so i mean he's just he's trending the wrong way at the wrong time of the year now we've seen what johnny juzan could do in the tournament and it very easily could only take one game and then he starts scorching again because those are complete opposites like when he's cooking he's cooking but even with that strong stretch of games, I still think Johnny's going to have a tough time, you know, convincing NBA teams that there's more levels to his game. 
uh, more upside. Like we kind of know what he's had. We just read the stats. He's pretty much had a similar season. Um, Mm -hmm. I know UCLA is going to have a really strong team going into the tournament, but we'll see. I, I, I'm rooting for him. Well, to wrap up our PAC 12 conversation, I just want to get one quick name from each of you on someone to keep an eye on as we get, as we make the tournament run and kind of ramp up to the draft. Um, Albert, I'll start with you. Is, is there anyone who we haven't talked about today from the PAC 12 that you could, you know, see getting their name called on draft night or kind of making an impact as a rookie? Gosh, I feel like the one guy who comes to mind, I, I don't think he gets drafted anywhere first round second round i'm hoping he makes it on a summer league roster and has a good season or has a good run there because he didn't get to play in the pac-12 tournament because of illness but who i'm talking about is will richardson out of oregon um he was a guy who coming into the season oregon they were really hoping for a lot from him after losing duarte last season and pritchard the year before i think he's a guy who's just who came into the season as a senior they were hoping for a lot more than what they got to be honest but he's a guy that i like man will richardson's a guy that i wrote about earlier in the season one of my first pieces actually for for no ceilings because he's he's a lefty he's got a little funk to him he can shoot it a little bit i wish he would be a little bit better of a shooter but when he's open and his feet are set it, it looks pretty good um it's just yeah he just did not have the season that everyone was expecting and yet i still hold out hope uh that he can have some sort of nba career um, of course, like then at the same time, if I, if I look at his skill set and the way that he plays and you kind of, I kind of lean more towards even towards like a Michael DeVoe from Georgia tech. But, um, I like, I still like Will Richardson. I like the passing. I like the little spurts of him doing nice things, but yeah, he's the first guy that comes to mind for me, but he may never even make an NBA roster. So Rucker, what about you? Um, Azulis Tubelis, and I hope I said his first name correctly, is the name that everyone needs to keep an eye on in the tournament. I know we're, we talked about a plenty of Arizona Wildcats prospects um, throughout this podcast, but I think Tubelis has a scary upside. I was very impressed seeing him in person. Um, you know, 6'11", sophomore, you know, he's, he's about 245 pounds out of Lithuania, some some Sabonis vibes to his game with it comes to playmaking and stuff. He's got to, you know, continue to stretch the distance where he can space the floor to become that type of player. But I really think that's a guy that's going to be on uh, NBA draft radars for next year because he can really play and he's got fantastic vision. So that's the name I'm looking at. Right. Well, I I know we're running a little long here, but we end every episode with it. What's the best thing in the basketball world you've seen? Um, I'll I'll start it off to give you guys a little time because Rucker, I know you didn't prepare anything like you never. Every time I don't prepare. I don't know. Albert, I forgot to tell you. Yeah, because you're a horrible (laughs) co-host. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) So I I, got to go with Carl Anthony Towns, 60 points, franchise record, um, absolute stud, best scoring big man ever uh best shooting big man ever it's not a slight on Dirk Nowitzki it's just the next evolution um yeah Rucker who you got Albert you go because I need to process that Dirk Nowitzki <laughs> slap in the face so Albert you it's go not ahead. an insult it's yes, not good an insult. Lord. yes it was take it <laughs> that was McSpicy you know I, what I I'll take mention. it I'll take this one okay. Albert you think for a little bit longer right to throw this okay. back at Mr. Metcalf Jalen Duran dropping 20 and 20 
from Memphis and heating up right before the tournament. You've been I bet you the didn't same see things about one. him as I have. I bet you didn't see that one coming just to piss you off. <laughs> I'm thrilled yeah, about Jalen Duran starting to make me a believer. Um, I'm really excited to see what he could do in this tournament. I'm hoping, obviously, like every scout and evaluator and NBA personnel person in the world that, you know, I'm sorry, Boise State, but I'm hoping Memphis wins so we can potentially get Chet, Timmy Mania against, you know, the incredible Hulk of Memphis. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Jalen Duran just to piss off Metcalf. Albert, what do you got? (laughs) How do you hate him and have him at eight? I mean, you don't hate him. You're just not sold, but. Uh, Yeah. Um, Okay. So, you know, the podcast that we do, it's mostly like college basketball stuff. So I haven't been able to talk much about the NBA recently. So I feel with this being an opportunity for me to talk about my Knicks, I just want to say it's been a rough season, but RJ Barrett is really starting to find himself in a really spicy way. The way that he's been playing ever since the all-star break. No, even before that from like January on, he's been phenomenal. And I, and I, I've heard a lot of what, you know, Rissolo and Bill Simmons and people have said about him and how like he's really finding his groove and stuff like that. But I think all that is fine. Like clearly he's finding some confidence to his game and that's true. But this is something that I tweeted the other day that I really believe is the biggest difference with him recently. It's his willing, his willingness to go to his right hand. So what I want to talk about right now, or I'm talking about is RJ Barrett's right hand is the best thing that I've seen uh, recently in terms of, you know, obviously it's a biased type of thing, but I love his willingness to go to his right hand and to dribble with his right hand. It looks way more comfortable than even like his rookie season. And he's finishing with his right hand at will. And I, it's weird, like, because he's using his right hand so much more now, it's causing a different, it's a different threat. Um, and it's it's really expanding his game offensively when he's attacking the rim. So wanted to throw in R.J. Barrett, who is blossoming into a real star, I think, in year three. So wanted to throw that in there as the resident Nick fan of our of our team. Albert, thank you so much for your time. Uh, this is a lot of fun. Please tell the people where they can support you. Uh, you can find me at Alberto Gim um, is my Twitter handle. Also at GTG NBA is the other handle that I just have not been using recently and i'm sorry everybody uh but yeah i'm 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 the uh second half or the other half of the draft act nba podcast with Corey tulliba we've been doing that now for over a year if you guys can believe that and also the most important thing i'm a part of the no ceilings team that's been we've just been on a sick heater uh recently with the stuff that we've been pumping out and guys if you love the stuff that you've seen from you know, the no ceilings website so far, it's only going to get better. And um, I know Rucker and Metcalf and all you guys, we, we love to give each other a shit, but um, honestly, the things that you guys are doing, even with this pod is unbelievable. And Metcalf and Rucker, all the stuff that you guys are writing, I'm, I know we're on the same team. So this is weird to say, but I'm a huge fan of everything that you guys pump out too, in terms of your writing and your pods and everything. Um, so this is not me kissing ass, but I, you know, I'm on your pod. You given you've given me the opportunity, and I want to say I'm a huge fan of all that you guys do. So, shouts to you guys and everything that uh, you guys have been pumping out there. All right. Well, I will send over your payment later for that lovely compliment, uh, <laughs> Rucker. How can the people find you? How can they support you? Yeah, thank you, Albert. That was that was very nice. Um, I'm at backcourt v on social media and Tyler underscore Rucker. Um, yeah, I'm I'm all over the place. Twitter. I still can't figure out why I'm tweeting from two accounts in the same day. Um, but also I'm at no ceilings, And, um, I'm very proud and honored of 
what we're what we're doing, what we're building. And, and like Albert said, it is going to reach another level in the next couple of months. And I'm very excited for it. And as always, thank you, Metcalf. This has been very fun to keep doing this with you. And I think we got some exciting stuff in the works, Metcalf. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to get some more guests on this bad boy. Absolutely. The, we're, we're only ramping up so much more to look forward to so much more to get, get excited about. But once again, I'm Tyler Metcalf. You can follow me on Twitter at tmetcalf11. And please make sure to go to noceilingsnba.com where you can find all of our written work and please subscribe. It's completely free. Everything gets delivered directly to your inbox once it's published. There's no excuse not to sign up. Please also make sure to follow us on Twitter at No Ceilings NBA, and more, even more importantly on YouTube at No Ceilings TV, where we've got a lot of really, really fun and cool and interesting video content coming up in the pipeline. Um, from a scheduling standpoint, this will be the last part of the week. Uh, if you missed it, uh, please make sure to go back on Sunday night's episode where we had the whole No Ceilings family on to kind of run through the tournament and different prospects we liked and how the turn and how the bracket kind of fell out from a draft perspective, not necessarily a bracket breakdown. Um, we will be back next Tuesday, but in the meantime, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review and a five-star rating until next time. See y'all.